Gotham City always brings a smile to my face. Where do they get a load of me? My spider senses are starting to tingle. Just hang on to your lariat. Wonder what kind of a scene I'm getting into. And welcome to Behind the Panels, issue 109, the comic book show that's coming to you live from Oz Comic Con. Can I hear some noise? Woo! Thank you very much. I'm Richard Gray. I'm David McVeigh. I'm Nicholas Scott. And I'm Freddie Williams II. In this issue, Supergirl comes to TV. Writer and magician Alan Moore writes a book, and the new Batmobile is sighted. Then it's the death of Wolverine, probably, and Batgirl becomes a roided ranger in what we've been reading. Plus our kick-ass pick of the week, Batman the Killing Joke, which we'll discuss with our very special guests, Nicholas Scott and Freddie E. Williams II. This is Behind the Panels. Any excuse for the bat dance as well. Uh, this is a very special... This is the 75th anniversary of Batman, so we've decided to choose a very special book uh, this week, which is uh, Batman the Killing Joke, Alan Moore, Brian Boland. We, we love this book. Hopefully you've had a chance to read it. If not, there'll be a couple of tiny spoilers uh, about the book in here, but uh, if not, you'll have a completely deeper appreciation for the book once you've read it at the end of this. We like to do a couple of things. We like to talk to our guests when we have them. Uh, one thing you don't know about me is that I came on dancing to music. Even when we record this in studio, I still insist that David does that for me. He does. Every he single does. time. Um, uh, it's scary, though. Sometimes he does this naked, too. So <laughs> you just got to be careful of him, okay? Oz Comic Con put a quash to the nakedness for today. but All ages uh, show. All ages show. We are very excited to be joined. And also I clothed up because we have guests. Um, I am very excited to be joined by Nicholas Scott and Freddie Williams. How are you today? Uh, excellent and exhausted. How's your con been going? Really good already. It's, <laughs> only, uh, it's only halfway through the first day and it's been a pretty successful day already. And Freddie, how's your con been so far? Is this your busy? first time to Australia or no? No, um, yeah, this is, this is our third time. We were here in 2012 for Adelaide, then last year it was Melbourne, and then this year is Brisbane and Sydney. But Brisbane and Sydney, I mean, this is our first time here in these, uh, this specific area, but uh, no, we love it here and love the convention, and keep, that's why we keep coming back. Well, we're very excited to actually have uh, an Oz Comic Con in Sydney for the first time. Uh, one of the things we also like to do on this show, if you've ever listened to us before, is we like to go back in time. We like to, We like comics. We like... Retro things, I guess. Although as we get older, Those the retro are things old. are getting <laughs> the retro things are getting increasingly close to our own childhoods. But uh, here's one we went back to. You might recognise this one. Let's just have a look. Something we should explain about this show is that we uh, do edit in post-production and uh, mistakes do happen. This is also the first time we've had live video feed and we've lost our feed. So give us one second, we'll correct. Professionals to the end. There we go. 
lost it again. Look, you're going to have to take our word for it. It was an awesome clip. It was awesome really clip. funny. <laughs> uh, it involves Scooby-Doo and Batman. Was the uh, was the clip? Uh, so Scooby doing Joker, wasn't Scooby-Doo it? Scooby doing Joker. Scooby doing Joker. It was a Joker dressed killer. as a log, for some reason. Uh, go and look it up uh, on it YouTube. It will be in our show notes. That's so very we'll, David Lynch. It was. <laughs> I like to think, picture a log lady just slowly stroking the Joker uh, over an open fire. But uh, that I was hoping sh- the other clips work. <laughs> I'm hoping the other clips work. But if they don't, this is going to be fun. Um, but it gives me a chance to chat to you guys a little bit longer. Um, so, uh, Nicola, after eight years with DC Comics, you've uh, decided to move on to Pastures Different. Uh, yes, in, in, in decision and in theory, that is about to happen. Uh, I'm still doing some bits and pieces for DC. Uh, I've got a couple of short projects that I'm working on at the moment that I've got to finish off. I've been doing a couple of covers for them. Um, but any second now, I'm, a- I'm actually going to start sinking my teeth into a project that I've been talking about with uh, Greg Rucker, the writer that I'm about to work with. We've been talking about this project for over four years. And wow. uh, to finally sort of get to the point where we're going to start working on it, like even not even caring about when it's coming out. It'll come out sometime next year. It'll start. But it's a long project uh, and uh, really looking forward to sort of sinking my teeth into something other than superheroes. As much as I love, love, love superheroes, I've kind of burnt out for a little bit and I want to miss them again yeah. before I come back. So what you're saying is there is hope that you will come back to them. Oh, I will definitely come back to superheroes. They are my first love. Excellent. And is this the creator-owned project you've been talking about or is this something else? That no, no, you, this, this is this the creator-owned project. project. It's, yeah. a, it's a big story uh, that, like any good Greg Rucker story, starts small and is a nice slow burn. Um, nice. And it will take a while for, you know, all the colours to show. Um, uh, and, and I'm sort of, I, I think we're sort of committing to sort of quite a decent chunk of time to play this out Fantastic. over. Yeah. Okay, and uh, Freddie, you've been working with DC a lot as well uh, since you've been, you were under contract for about seven or eight years with DC, weren't you? And I was under contract for six years. Six with years. Them. Yeah, from 2006 through 2012, cool. but... I've been working with them since uh, the end of 2005, and I'm still doing some work for them, but I'm also beginning to branch out, uh, wanting to do some creator-owned stuff. Once, uh, once the I'm, I'm working with Mark Guggenheim, and he's incredibly busy right now with Arrow and X-Men mm. and stuff. So um, once things kind of lighten up a little bit for him and we get a handle on what we're doing, then mm. we'll be exploring more of the creator-owned stuff as well. And uh, one of the projects you've got coming up, which is a, your first Marvel project, I believe, yeah. uh, is the legendary Star-Lord. Uh, that'll be issue four that's coming out next month, I believe. Yes. Uh, what was it like? Was this a character you've been wanting to work with? Uh, and were you a fan of the characters before you worked with them? Uh, I'm a big... I mean, a lot of... Uh, Marvel has a lot of my favorite characters in it. Um, I had had only experience, really, with uh, Rocket Raccoon, whenever, yeah. uh, you know, from Guardians, but... Um, yeah, it's really fun to draw, and in the story, the, uh, the you know over half the issue is like a big brawl between uh, Star Lord and uh, Thanos, and I mean that's that is enough. Uh, let me see, that is in the solicitation, so I'm not spoiling that. You know, yeah, there's a big yeah. showdown between the two of them, and so that was really really fun. Like that big action was really fun to draw, um, and I'm a big th- uh, Thanos fan as well. So I keep uh, stumbling over Thanos because I'm used to saying Thanos. But it's apparently Thanos, like according Thanos. to the interesting correction. Because I always thought it was Thanos as well. So. Thanos, but if I mean in the Guardians movie, it's everyone says Thanos, right? Mm. 
I think so. I think so. Thanos? Thanos. Thanos. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> uh, Can we have a vote from the audience? Who wants to say Thanos? No? No. no, no, no. I'm sticking okay. with Thanos. We're Australians. No one cares. <laughs> they're, still di- they're still disappointed the video didn't work. <laughs> well, uh, the other thing, um, and you've also been working on Brain Boy uh, as well for Dark Horse. Is yeah, that for right? Dark Horse. Yeah, and uh, that's, that's his finished uh, four-issue miniseries. Was that right? It was a four-issue miniseries, and I also did three like uh, eight-page short stories that appeared mm-hmm. in Dark Horse Presents. And so... Uh, Anyway, yeah, I did the, the four-issue miniseries that just came out. I think l- either earlier this month or last month, issue four came out. And it has a lot of really crazy... It's like a psionic secret service agent for the U.S. government. And so there's... But there's a, it's really nutty sort of stuff that happens. Um, and I got to draw some of the craziest stuff that I've gotten to draw. And, and since it's not at D.C., there was... Uh, since Dark Horse allows you to kind of do some a little bit more graphic violence and stuff, I was able mm. to draw some some stuff I felt was shocking, uh, but it was really fun to draw. Hooray Go the graphic, graphic violence! Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, we uh, the other thing that we do uh, on the show is like we talk about the stuff that's out in comic stores at the moment. We've been reading, and I don't know how much how much reading you guys get to do beyond. Uh, your own artwork, but we're just going to have a quick chat about some of the stuff we've read this week and maybe ask about some of the creators that uh, have some things out this week that both of you guys have actually worked with. So, David, hit the music and let's hope it works. Well, looks like we got ourselves a reader. Read between the lines, bitch. And... uh, (laughs) By the way, if you're wanting to tweet along about our hopeless technical uh, ineptitude, hashtag panels live. I can see uh, the <laughs> man in blue got... <laughs> in the front row has already taken me up on the Without offer. Without the wig, though, he's got kind of a pale forehead going here. It's kind of like <laughs> someone's the gloved beast down here in the front row. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, one of the books that came out this week is, uh, is anyone following Death of Wolverine at the moment? Anyone? Show of hands. Apparently, Wolverine's got three weeks to live. Update, David. Did he die this week? Uh, spoilers. Wolverine is still alive. Moving straight along. Um, Batgirl, the final Gail Simone Batgirl came out this week, which is... Uh, Incredibly sad. Sad, because we've been loving this book since <laughs> its inception. And this, this one actually leaps forward five years in time to show a Batgirl who's really, really gone through the ringer uh, and has wound up with a little group of Batgirls with it. And it kind of reminded me, some of them reminded me vaguely of actually one of the characters you wrote years, uh, you drew years ago. It kind of has sort of a, a Misfit sort of vibe to it, which actually I think was one of the first characters you It drew. might be. Yeah, Misfit was the first character I designed when I started at DC. Yeah. Um, I've only seen one image from the book. I haven't seen the whole issue yet. Someone tweeted it at me. It was like a pretty roidy looking Batgirl. It's, it's, it's a roided up Batgirl. It, it's Batgirl kind of doing being. a high kick with a it's, big leg yeah. split. <laughs> if, if you haven't looked at it yet, picture this. Super flattering. It, it's somewhere between Bane and Batgirl, and you've got an idea of what this this month's issue of Batgirl looks it's like. It's a very this angry is, Barbara Gordon. It's a very angry Barbara Gordon. Is it Barbara Gordon? It's in, Barbara Gordon, in, but she doesn't go by that name anymore. She goes by the name Beast. No, no. <laughs> the Black Beast. Oh, the Black Beast. That's <laughs> Good grief. La Bête Noire. <laughs> put it this way, the, the entire book is like a footnote to Gail's run, because it has been an amazing run of Batgirl, which she finished last 
issue, but then there's this future's end issue, so it's kind of this flash forward and what could happen. Uh, I think that you've, if you ended on the last issue, you've ended her series. This is kind of interesting, and it does have a resolution, but it's not quite the rest of the Batgirl series. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of... It is, there's a, the thing I liked about it, there was a continuity almost from the days when you were doing Birds of Prey yeah. uh, with her, and the, the because they kept... And we'll be talking about this later, the fact that Barbara Gordon was in a wheelchair for many years. It's sort of been kept through since DC rebooted the whole universe. It still existed in a way uh, as part of the history, the, the, the continuity of this book, The Killing Joke. But it's been alluded to, yeah. Yeah, it's been alluded to, but a lot of changes happened. But it's almost felt as though this was Gail's way of finishing the book the way she had a vision of it going somewhere. Uh, a, a little bit. Like, Barbara Gordon is Gail's very favourite character. Yeah. Um, she's incredibly emotionally invested uh, in Barbara. Um, and you can see the threads that, even though it's sort of a, a different universe continuity between the, the pre-New 52 and the New 52, um, because she has written Barbara... In, in both universes for such a long period of time, you can see that the characterization, the threads of the characterization that hold them mm. together. Um, that said, the Barbara that Gail wanted to write in the New 52 is not quite as close to the Barbara she had to write. Yeah. Um, yeah. She likes she likes her her Batgirl content to be a little lighter and funner and mm. cuter and she was sort of in a position where it needed to be darker than she would like. Mm. But at the same time, she still managed to get the character's voice completely right. Well, they're going in a completely opposite direction now. They're going for that really fun, cute Batgirl after this, yeah. which is uh, interesting. And we're really pleased to see that Gail's on Secret Six at the end of the year. I which know! Is fantastic. How exciting is that? Full circle back I'm to you guys. I'm so jealous that I'm not going to be working on that <laughs> book with her because... <laughs> Out of everything that I've ever worked on at DC, that was probably the lowest-selling book, but the demographic of the audience was kind of industry people. Yeah. They all loved the book. It was such a cult... It had such a cult following. And it is by far, to this day, the, my most favourite thing that I've worked on. Oh, it's, it, was, it was one of my favourites, yeah. Because the writing nice. was fun and sexy. Uh, there was, it was so subversive. There was so much subtext to sort yes. of mine out of every panel of every scene... It's all in trade. Go and check out Secret Six if you can. If check you out read Secret it. Six. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta read that book. It's a bunch yeah. of great <laughs> D-list Batman villains who've decided crime doesn't pay, and sort of have gone mercenary instead. And so it's a really goofy, cheeky, uh, A-team dressed as the village people kind of book. It should be a movie. <laughs> it um, should be a movie. Yeah. It should be an HBO series. Absolutely, um, Freddie. You've worked with uh, Grant Morrison in the past. Um, you worked on Seven Soldiers uh, with him. Uh, it was the Mr. Miracle issues, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, and uh, Grant Morrison's got a new book out this week uh, called Annihilator, uh, which is one of the most meta things I've read. And he, in the same month that he released Multiversity, which is also one of the most meta things I've read. When you get a script from someone like Grant Morrison, how prescriptive is, is what's on page? Is, it, is, is he really finally tell you you know, what the panels should look like, right down to the, to the captions, or is he kind of open to you exploring your own direction? The, the couple of issues that I worked on uh, with him on Seven Soldiers, Mr. Miracle, they were, they were full scripts in that they said page one, panel one, and then it described what was happening, and then there was the dialogue was there. But um, 
there was not usually indications of camera angle or if it was a long shot or anything like that that he left open to us and he was also open he made it very clear and so did the editor Peter Tomasi uh, at the time he was my editor uh, that if there was something that we needed to condense or uh, you know break apart into multiple panels to help pacing to make things more dramatic that we we could do that so he was very flexible or pliable with his script um, which by the way I didn't need to break anything apart or anything because he had it paced very well um, but yeah, the, the, the scripts are not overly detailed. Sometimes, like I've seen photocopies uh, in the watching The Watchmen, I think is the name of the book, of uh, like showing Alan Moore's Watchmen scripts, mm. which are just over the top, incredible. There's like pages of, you know, closely typed, single spaced uh, <laughs> descriptions of what would happen on a single panel or the introduction of a page. Uh, so that it would be. You know, usually a script is, if you were to print it out from your computer, would be like a page per page of a comic book. So page one would exist on one page of a Word document and so on. And this would be like five or six pages of closely typed, single-spaced text equaling one page of a comic book. That's Alan Moore is what I'm describing. <laughs> um, so it's, it's definitely not on that level, but there's like some very... Sometimes there's like weird tangents where um, Grant Morrison would be just... Uh, maybe something was on his mind. So there'd be like a sides. You almost felt like you were, uh, you know, I never had a conversation with him, but there was parts of the script that felt like that. Like yeah. whenever you're having a conversation with someone and then they get off on a tangent and kind of rail away from it and then they go, oh, but whatever, I'll get back to this thing. That's kind of what it would be in a script sometimes. It would be a little bit uh, insights into his mind. Like he was just distracted by something. It's hard to describe, but it's pretty cool. This, this book he's got out this week is, uh, it's very meta in the sense that it's about a, it's about a writer his creation comes to life, ultimately, which is sort of themes that I think Grant Morrison's been playing with for a few years. And if you've read Multiversity, which came out last month, or late last month, early this month, um, that was very much about the idea that all stories are real to somebody somewhere. And it, it, it gets yeah, uh, that's... very laid. You kind of have to love comics to, to love, or at least love reading to love uh, some of the stuff that he's been doing recently. And to my knowledge, that is not just a fiction for him. Mm. Like he, th those no, are going reading off his of book vibes. At the moment, yeah. Yes, those are going off of vibes that he truly believes that uh, when you are creating a written story, or maybe when you're creating any story, you are producing, uh, you are performing a type of magic that actually writing things, uh, it's it can manifest then in the real world. So, uh, an analogy that he used was in uh, the book called The Invisibles that there was a character in there that he wrote to uh, that essentially was a personification or an avatar of himself and he had wrote a scene a series of scenes where he kept making this character's life worse and worse like he made him uh, get incredibly injured and um, there was all these things that he did to the character and then according to Grant Morrison uh, within a short period of time those types of things were happening to himself so the conclusion mm -hmm. that he came to was that he was manifesting his own destiny this character was based on himself these bad things he made these bad things happen to the character and then to himself uh, that's all very interesting insights you know <laughs> to listen to it's like yeah. wow it, it's my an brain incantation. it is yeah that's on, on what very, he claims on a very small scale he actually was talking about batman once where he actually said that uh, all batman are real as far as he's concerned yes yeah. this was his Batman description happened. to yeah. um, 
to Kevin Smith. Yes, wasn't yes, it? yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Yes, where he said that all Batman are, all Batman is real because every Batman is somebody's Batman. And so the '66 Batman did happen. The the Bob yeah. Kane Batman happened. The Tim Burton it's like Batman the autobiographies happened. of his life. You yeah, know, every, every writer has, has written in another element of his Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Have you guys? Uh, I know you guys are both very busy, but do you get a chance to keep to read anything at all? Is there anything that's caught your eye lately? Um, I have not been reading very much at all. We don't get a lot of time. Like, I get the box with everything in it. <laughs> and my husband reads quite a bit more than I do. Um, well, that's it. Let's get him up here then. All right. so he, he, he was around just a second ago. We saw him floating um, past before. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it, I'll, I'll, I'll flip through a lot of things because I want to see the art more than I want to read the stories. Yeah. Um, when the trade box comes through, there's a few things that I read in trade. But at the moment, the only thing that I'm following regularly is Saga. Oh, oh yeah. We Just all follow that's Saga. Just kind of, yeah, it's, it's interesting and it's wacky and it's... it's uh, I think we all follow Saga as a mantra. Right. You know? <laughs> it's like when, when Saga comes fun. out, our What You've Been Reading section is, and this week, Saga came out. Yeah. End of it. <laughs> yeah. Sorted. Enough said. Freddie, anything caught your eye lately? Uh, I don't. I don't read much monthly. As far as like every time a floppy comes out, I'll go out and get it. But I do read uh, the, the the two series that I read are Invincible and then the uh, IDW uh, Ninja Turtles series, right. the, their, yeah. their primary one. Um, and I but I usually wait for them to kind of accrue. Either I'm reading a trade of Invincible or I'm reading five or you know four or five issues of the Ninja Turtles or something like that. Um, and but other than that, I don't really, uh, I don't read a whole lot of other comics. I'll read other types of things like either how-to material or, or yeah. philosophy books, <laughs> that sort of Cause thing. Because you, you're putting out a lot of material that's tutorial and based as well, aren't you? Uh, online when I can, when you, when you yeah. can, yeah. Um, I think it's time we need to move on to some of the week's news headlines, David. I think we do. And fingers crossed, we have sound. <laughs> Greg Berlanti of DC Entertainment confirmed that they are quietly working on a Supergirl TV series. A network has yet to be announced. After nine years, writer and beard enthusiast Alan Moore has finished all one million words of the first draft of his novel, Jerusalem. Uh, any idea what that word might be? I think there's two words. Screw Hollywood. Oh, okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> Marvel Comics will replace Wolverine with Peter Parker when the comic Spider-Man and the X-Men send Spidey to teach at the Jean Grey Academy. Why? Even though he's not a mutant. I, I don't get it either. If you're paying attention on the internet this week, the first the photos of the Batmobile were leaked. Uh, at first, it looked as though they'd been left in a bad part of Detroit. Um, uh, and they were followed very closely by the official photo, which assured us that Batman's stance on no guns is flexible. Uh, Guinness has a new record holder. Bob Bertral entered the Book of Records with his stash of over 94,268 comics and growing. Someone um, here's got that beat, surely. Yeah, come on. Go Anybody? On. <laughs> Call Guinness. And finally, we love this story. A three-year-old boy in the U.S. born without a fully developed hand was given an Iron Man hand by the, e group, by the, by the group E-Nabling, which makes 3D printed prosthetic hands. They, of course, gave it to him for free. I love that. That's our feel-good story of the day. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. We were just wondering if it was equipped with repulsors. <laughs> Making him the terror of the playground after that. Um, this, is, this is the point of the show. This is the focus of our show. We, are, uh, we do a pick every week. And this is also the point where I've now got my uh, heart in my throat wondering if the next video is going to work. 
Because um, it's a really good video. <laughs> if not, if the video doesn't work, get it behindthepanels.net in about three days' time. You can see it there. Otherwise, this is time for Epic of the Week. Well, see how you like this. What is it, Batman? Whatever it is, it's, it's awfully funny. <laughs> it's the Pick of the Week. Memories can be vile. Repulsive little brutes like children, I suppose. <laughs> but can we live without them? Memories are what our reason is based upon. If we can face them, we deny reason itself. Although, why not? We are contractually tied down to rationality. <laughs> there is no sanity clause. Places in your past where the screaming is unbearable. Remember, there's always madness. You can just step outside and close the door, and all those dreadful things that happened, you can lock them away. Madness is the emergency exit. Oh, there is no sanity clause. There is no sanity clause. That, of course, was the voice I stole shamelessly from, I think, New York Comic Con last year. It was the voice of uh, the official, I think it's Troy Barker's his name, the guy that does the voice for the Arkham games uh, for Joker, because I tried to do a Joker impersonation, and I ended up sounding like the actor Harvey Fierstein. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he had this Joker that really sounded like this I was hoping you'd time, just sample you know? it for us, yes. <laughs> I think you got the ticket he sent me. Um, but it was... Uh, this This is a book that came out in 1988, I want to say. I have notes, but of course I'm not going to consult them. Oh, all. we never check notes. Come on. <laughs> the, uh, came back in March 1988, along with... It won the Eisner Award the year for uh, Best Graphic Album in 1989. This is a point, uh, along with... Uh, I guess Batman The Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, which we'll be talking about right here tomorrow. Um, and I guess Death in the Family the following year was a book, that, the books that really got us away from those crazy 60s Batman scenes that we showed a few moments ago. This was the. But that this, was somebody's Batman. That was somebody, <laughs> of course it is. Um, but this, this is, there was this idea of Batman in the 60s, that this silly cartoon Batman, and these three or four books made him dark, made him the dark knight that he is today in a lot of ways. And, and, and in many ways, even the stuff that we're seeing that's coming out from Scott Snyder kind of harks back to uh, this kind of vibe of Dark Knight. The uh, book was, of course, uh, written by writer and mall Santa, Alan Moore. And uh, <laughs> I hope neither of you know Alan. because I'm I don't think anybody truly knows Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Except Alan. Uh, and uh, the art was done by Brian Bolland. The original colouring was by John Higgins, uh, which the artist Brian Bolland didn't like at all. Uh, so if you buy uh, any copies now... Their copies recolored by the artist himself. This is a book about duality, as you heard or saw in some of the ooh, saw in some of the clips. There, uh, it's about how two people can have one bad day. Batman, as we know, spoilers. Uh, Bruce Wayne's parents were shot; they did not survive. <laughs> he became Batman, uh, and You've the other person. Just it all away. I'm sorry. The other person being Joker, who 
uh, whose origin story is somewhat muddied, and we find out in this book, in fact, not this book. It's, it's actually book. something that Christopher Nolan adopted with yeah. the idea of a, a, a shifting background where yeah. it slightly changes every time he tells it. The, uh, and we, we also have the Joker as an unreliable narrator yeah. uh, in there as well. The, the, Bolin's, it was, uh, the artist Brian Bolin's idea originally, he'd just come off a whole run of Judge Dredd, and he actually said that Judge Death was almost a dry run for drawing the Joker. Uh, which I think is a really interesting way of describing his art. And you can kind of see a little bit of that in that cover there. But here's an idea about some of the art and the way that the layout of the panels. Now, this sort of gets back to what we were talking about before. The, the, the whole idea that uh, how prescriptive um, panels can be. You can see here uh, in these panels, these really tight, you know, nine panel pages as something that Alan Moore has in a lot of books. If you've read The Watchmen, of course, you know how tightly paneled that can be. And my favorite story about Alan Moore, I think, was that uh, to Dave Gibbons, in fact, um, it was out here a couple of years ago, saying that he had this half-page description of, of how hard it was raining. And to, to uh, Dave Gibbons, I believe, famously said, to an artist that reads, it's raining. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys have both dealt with Batman and the Batman universe over the last uh, decade or so. To you, what... What kind of makes for a compelling Batman? What makes for a compelling Joker story? What, what suckers you in? What, what makes you want to draw a compelling Batman? Or um, Joker, even? I've, I... I the, the Batman stories and the Joker stories that appeal to me the most are kind of when both characters are a little more elusive. You know, I, I like sort of... I like more information about Batman than I do about Joker. Mm. You know, too much... When you know too much about Joker, it starts humanising him a little too much. Which this book does. Which that book does. I I was actually not crazed about him having an origin. It's like, I'd like him to come fully formed from under a rock. (laughs) But what was interesting, though, is after he tells his little origin story, he basically goes, was that how it was? I'm not sure. Right, yeah, exactly. And you kind of go, oh, okay, he's just messing with us again, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, that's, I think, part of the success of the the movie adaptation, um, Christopher Nolan's um, and Heath Ledger's Joker. Mm. is that there is sort of no concrete origin, that there is no fingerprints, mm. that there is no history. It's just this fully formed psychopath who's just burning stuff down. Um, to me, th- that makes for a, a way more terrifying villain. And I feel like Batman stories, I, you know, I love knowing a lot about his daily routine. I love knowing details about the cave. I love you know, having a sort of more intimate knowledge of his relationships with Alfred and all of his sidekicks and all that kind of stuff. But I find some of the more effective stories kind of like uh, Gotham Central used to have, Mm. where it would be about Gotham City and that there was this, you know, uh, mystery character who would just swoop in, kick some shit down and swoop off again and you'd just sort of be left with, what the hell was that? You know, that, that sort of, to me, makes the, the mystery and the, the, the allure of Batman is the mythology that comes out of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like some of the best Batman stories are where you don't know. 
exactly what his motives are. And, and Freddie, for you, uh, has, has Batman always been a compelling character to you? Have you always, is there a particular type of Batman story that you enjoy reading or even uh, drawing on? Yeah, it, to me, it's all about the visuals, to be honest. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't want, I don't want any silliness to be happening. Um, if there is any sort of humor in the book, I'd rather it come from something that, that you just you might find funny. I, I don't want the, uh, Batman or the Joker to be funny because they've made fun of it or they've been the target of the humor. I want it to be, maybe there, there might be a contrast that becomes humorous, but ultimately I want it to be about visuals. I'm cool with a Batman story that shows him using lots of gadgets and a jet and a car and all this other stuff, but I'm also cool with him almost seeming supernatural where he's, you're not sure how he got to the top of that building. You're not sure how he got into that dungeon. You're not sure how he, you know, you don't see him reach into his utility belt and pull out the, yeah. the pill that did something uh, or the device that did something. You just suddenly he's out of the conundrum and you're not even sure how he did it or he just appears. Um, so I like both of those, but it's all about the visuals and I like really... I like everything from really well-rendered things, and this includes even, if I were drawing it, well-rendered things uh, where the, the character is essentially in medium to bright daylight, but there's a lot of texture that you've added. Mm. Uh, or if it's a nighttime shot and three-fourths of it is in shadow, mm. and then you've got like one, you know, one-fourth of him that's, that's well-rendered or something. Um, I love all that stuff. So it, it's very much about the visuals. And the Joker, I like to be... Um, I like the kind of mask-like nature of his face that mm. uh, it's like this gaping smile and these like beady but sometimes blank eyes um, again about the visuals but that's uh, there's something truly creepy about seeing somebody smiling no matter what yes. um, I have a drawing that I did at my booth where Batman is choking the Joker but he's still smiling and laughing and that's that's really funny to me because no matter, even if you're choking him, he's still finding it funny. There's still mm. something in that that's that's funny. Which is, which is skipping ahead. We will, we'll talk about that in a minute, the very final pages of this yeah. book as well. Uh, which also makes it really interesting, these first few panels here, because you've got um, a Batman who's just casually walking into Arkham going, hello, coffee. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the, the police just go, yes, let's let the mass vigilante into talk go. to the uh, criminals. <laughs> of course, in, in terms of the artwork here, uh, one of the things I found was really interesting was that there was, uh, even though this was a mature reader's book, uh, DC did censor some of this material. This is the page you've all seen um, on, on screen where you can see, uh, and this is where he sort of breaks away from the nine panels to show, you know, the, the madness horror. Joker that has caused. But then, uh, and I've censored it slightly here because it's an all-ages audience. Uh, in this version, the Joker's attached Barbara Gordon with a vicious red line. Um, but uh, you can see there, originally, there was a full frontal nudity shot in the middle of the page, which they pulled back on, and it made certain aspects of uh, Barbara Gordon's trauma more prominent. Now, this was uh, something that, at the time, people complained about in terms of violence in, against women in comics. And, and Gail, who we spoke about before, actually used this as an example of the, uh, what she called you know, women in refrigerator syndrome, because uh, there, was, there, there was this period of comics where it was almost that women were victims and nothing much else in and those this comics. This was the beginning. This was the beginning. And, but on, on, in some ways, the positive thing that we, we take from this story in some ways is that what Barbara Gordon became as a result of this story is a lot more than just being Batgirl. She became Oracle. But that was in the hands of another writer, of yes. course. Um, do you have any comments on that? Um, I feel like that was someone trying to 
resuscitate who is a brilliant character that's been done wrong by. Mm. Um, you know, obviously for a hero to have any relevance and for a villain to be threatening, uh, violence or the threat of violence does need to happen. Um, it's such a shame that such a significantly iconic character was the one that had to cop it. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it was such a significantly iconic character that copped it was what made it so shocking. So, you know, mm. at the time before it was a meme, um, it really was quite an alarming thing to do. It was mm. quite uh, extraordinary that DC allowed it to happen. Well, but it was meant to be just to sort of... An Elseworlds book. I was originally. Say, originally, when this was written, Alan Moore was working within his own little unif- universe, yeah. uh, which will bring us to the ending of the book in a minute, because some of this has gone into canon and some of it hasn't, uh, which is uh, which I always find fascinating. Um, but also at this time, in comics, was Batgirl? What were her sales waning? What? Why would DC have just given him carte blanche to take out Barbara Gordon? Was were we seeing re, uh, a reduction in sales on her or yeah, something like that? Because they said, well, he wants to shoot one of these, one of these characters. Which one? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, there's some, if you actually read, and, and I'm not going to repeat Alan Moore's comments on this, but mm. apparently he'd made some very uh, frank, there were some very frank discussions had at DC Editorial at the time where um, I believe it was Dick Giordano at the time actually said what they could go and do with Barbara Gordon as a result of it. And that was... <laughs> um, go and look it up. Wikipedia entry for the Killing Joke. It's Gosh. a very frank discussion um, that they had there. But um, one, I guess, one of the things because we, we need to move on. And don't worry, people, the reprise is coming. So <laughs> we so got things to give we away. We got things to give away. Uh, we have uh, the final pages of this book to talk about. This is at the end of this book, and this was something that Grant Morrison he mentioned before. It's always been the thing. Did did. Alan Moore surreptitiously get out the last Batman story without anybody knowing about it by having Batman going completely mad and killing the Joker at the end of this book. I see some nods saying yes. Do I hear any more yes? Anybody else say yes? (laughs) Show of hands if they think Batman killed the Joker here. Anyone? Actually, show of hands. Who hasn't read The Killing Joke? Oh, good. So we've spoiled it for you and you and you and you. (laughs) By the way, we should mention the Behind the Panels is a spoilers and all show. (laughs) (laughs) And sorry, anybody else with an earshot. But um, this this is a really interesting one because the whole thing about Batman and Joker is that this is the the dynamic we're talking about before, that they'll just keep going until one of them dies, really. They're they're opposite sides of the same coin. They're Mm. both just as crazy as each other. They've just handled it in completely different ways. I think that's why they're such a such a brilliant pairing because mm. they really are. You know, Batman's crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And the you joke is crazy. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, no, same people it, dress it, up like a giant bat. I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few of them yeah, over that's there. That's one actually. way to handle you know your childhood trauma. Um, but I think that's kind of that's kind of what makes the Joker such a brilliant character mm. is that. He's wearing his his ridiculousness on his face and he's pointing it out to everybody else. And he, I think that's part of the reason why he's fascinated with Batman, you yes. know? His whole point for existing is to go, who are you kidding? Yeah. I'm just going to screw with you now. 
Yeah, he's embraced the madness, whereas Batman's been denying it for however long he's Absolutely. been. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's it's uh, it's one of those books that I think now, despite the fact that we spoiled it for you, that I think is kind of essential. Uh, reading, David. I think we should. There's a button we tend to press when we. I think it actually qualifies for one of these. This is comics 101. Absolutely. So, uh, and and it's kind of like it's interesting that we're talking about the origin because tomorrow we're going to have Ryan K. Lindsay. Who, if you want to go and buy his stuff and it's awesome, go head over to uh, Artis Alley over there. He's going to be talking about Year One with us, and we can start talking about the start of the Bat Madness. And we That's should say a beautiful series. Yeah. Oh. And we should say that if you want to buy any of your stuff. It's just over there. It's right there. <laughs> yeah, we're one booth back. Right over there. <laughs> right there. Um, this, is, this is the fun part of the show. We get to give stuff away. I'm very excited. Hey. hey. So what we're going to do is we're just going to reward the first two bravest people to ask us a question uh, either about the book um, or, and I haven't actually spoken to you about this, to either of you. <laughs> um, and uh, the first two brave people will win a prize pack that includes... Uh, a copy of the deluxe edition of Batman the Killing Joke. I don't know. What uh, you got? Oh, we got the raffle thing. Oh, there. sorry. Oh, hello. And there's oh. more. Sorry, there were raffle tickets. I didn't know how we did No, that. brave people get will get uh, uh, loot from uh, King's Comics. Okay, so wait. We're drawing now. And whoever has... David's cheating shamelessly. I'm gonna shake it around. This I'm is gonna, gonna bring make this great audio here because I eventually. think our guests should draw it. For okay, us. you can draw a ticket each. Here we go. Oh, we're drawing tickets. We're drawing tickets, tickets. now, man. All right. So for the first prize pack, B two zero zero two. It's an orange. Ding dong. Orange. Hey. Orange. Ding 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 ding. B you have just won a copy of Batman: The Killing Joke Deluxe at Hardcover Edition. Thanks for us. You've got so now you have no excuse not to read it. Okay. Thanks to King's Comics. We've also got a couple of uh, DC reading guides in there, Marvel Calendar and so forth. Uh, we've also, thanks to Icon, we've got um, a double pass to uh, Sin, Sin City, City to Kill for, which we're giving away a couple more of those. And you'll also find in there a badge and a bumper sticker for my mother. Oh, yeah, behind the panels, <laughs> swag. Uh, Freddie, would you please do the honours? Shake it up there, shake it up there. I think we need a, a little bit of um, of uh, this. And the winner is. Oh, girl from Ipanema. Yeah, okay. I'll get a bit of this going. <laughs> this is orange as well. That's orange. Uh, okay. B forty four. B forty four. Excellent. Oh, you may you may want to consult your parents before reading. <laughs> oh <God. the> <laughs> thanks yeah, again. Also, you can read all the other stuff that's in there. That's very much thanks to King's Comics who have got their uh, thanks, uh, banner King's. up behind us. King's. Now, what about, now what about questions? Now they're going to ask questions. questions. Now, uh, does anybody have any questions? Because we've got prizes for you as well. I'm going to go with this man over here. And David, do you want to bring a? Wanna I will bring stage? a mic out. I'll bring a mic out. Oh, I love live. Was that the Mighty Man T-shirt? The Mighty Man T-shirt. Yeah. Mighty Man. Um, you're going to have to meet me halfway. Miracle Man. Miracle yeah, Man. yeah it's, uh, it's actually Miracle Man. Or Miracle Man. Man. Yeah. Or Marvel just, Man, depending yeah, on where you that's are. It. Um, guys, just a question about um, Alan Moore, Killing Joke. Um, uh, why is it such a, a mine for, or a well for DC to keep coming back to all for years and years and years? The book came out 1987, um, and DC seems to just keep revisiting the same theme, same characters, Red Hood, Barbara Gordon... Um, there's so many recurring motives that just have gone throughout DC continuity. When's the next wave and, and why is Alan Moore still relevant now? It, 
It's interesting. This is this is a good question for you guys because you've uh, worked on both sides of the new 52. The new 52, for those of you who don't know, was DC's attempt to reboot everything, um, and yet there are still certain elements, particularly with Batman, that have sort of stayed through. Do you guys have any insight as to why you think some of those elements have stayed? Other than the fact that, you know... It's a cash cow. I, you know, we've just come <laughs> off three Christopher Nolan movies yeah. and Batman v Superman next year. I think oh, I think the, the, the big Batman stories that happened in the 80s, the ones that you were talking about earlier, they were the, the beginning of the modern definitive Batman. And I feel because they set the foundations... Um, for what has come for the, you know, 25 to 30 years since then, they have managed to stay relevant. Um, They're also sort of incredibly, you know, the the nature of Alan Moore is that he writes incredibly layered, loaded stories and uh, he's a particularly talented writer and not everyone is going to create something that can compete with something as iconic as those books. And if they're going to continue... The reason why they continue to use those books as essentially source material is because those books are continuing to sell 30 years later. Um, So I would... uh, You know, I think that's one of the primary reasons. I agree. If um, uh, it's... If the well is deep, you keep going back to it, and I think that it's 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 a deep well. That's why you go back to it. That uh, prize pack is courtesy of King's Comics, your Woo! local comic book store, and support them. And there's Anybody a big else booth got, around here somewhere. We've got time for one, one more, more question, question today. Uh, uh, come on up. We'll take two. We'll take you as well. Just one second. <laughs> Mine's more a general question to you guys. Um, do you enjoy working on more creator-driven work or the more DC, Marvel-type work? The heroes? Um, the, the, the upside of working on the, the licensed properties or the, the, the big famous characters is that we kind of grew up on them. You know, they're, they're what fed our interest in superheroes and comics in the first place. And so be, having the privilege of sort of being able to contribute to... The, the now 75-plus-year legacy of these characters is an incredible honour. Um, and it's, it's very hard to get past the thrill of knowing you're drawing the Superman logo or the Batman silhouette and know that this is part of canon. You're, you're getting to contribute to that. That's, that's a big thrill and it pays really well. Um, <laughs> the upside of creator-owned stuff is that you have that much more freedom, but your your circle of influence, your your reach, is a lot smaller because you're you're creating something that you have to convince people. Hopefully, over time, um, has relevance to them. These bigger characters have already proved themselves. That answer is so good. I will just copy and paste it. <laughs> Uh, hi guys, I just um, a question from an aspiring artist to the professionals. Um, uh, what was your uh, uh, learning process like? Um, like, how did you learn how to draw? Like, focus on a specific subject or tackle a lot of different subjects? Like, because drawing the head, figure drawing, expressions, storytelling, clothes. Like, what? what how, how did that go? That's basically? a big question. <laughs> like, like 
That is, that's like saying, describe everything that's not purple. It's a, it's a lot to answer, but um, I, I think organically is, is one answer for that, which is that you're, uh, as you're drawing, whatever kind of catches your interest at the time, whatever you're, uh, that's the thing that you study. So you're still drawing figures, you're still struggling with that, but faces and head construction ends up kind of taking the forefront or the fore role, and then you keep working on that as you're still working on figure stuff. Um, but I, uh, initially, I think it's more about if you can draw the human body and, then, and the head at the same time, and then eventually you start branching into uh, being able to draw it sequentially, like panel-to-panel work, um, and then eventually you're also getting into really perfecting your, your facial expressions and your textures, whatever you're uh, penciling or inking, all those things. So it just, they just keep bleeding into each other. So you might be working on one or two or three different subjects at the same time. Um, but the, the focus is whatever kind of grasps you. But it's important to really focus, begin paying attention to storytelling if you're wanting to be a sequential artist because, or a comic book artist because sequential storytelling is what we do probably 90 plus percent of the time. And I've seen a lot of people with portfolios that have a lot of interesting pinup work over and over, which is a single image. And sequential uh, is a completely different art form. You have to learn a whole bunch of stuff about leading the eye through the page. Um, and that's a, a big point of interest to get into. Did you go to art school? I did not. Neither did I. So it's not essential to do any kind of course. Um, you know, generally the most, pretty much everybody that works in the industry had a natural affinity for art from an early age. Um, we've picked up skills along the way just by osmosis because it is our interest. And it comes from experience. You know, by the time you're drawing full-time, all day, every day, seven days a week for years and years and years, you're going to get better. <laughs> you know, it's, it's unavoidable. When I started at DC, you know, eight-plus years ago, I was not the artist that I am today. Um, and when I had made my decision to draw comics, I was not the artist then that I was by the time I got my job at DC. You have to... It's that practice makes perfect thing. And you've got to commit to... Like Freddie was saying, there's a big difference between being a sequential artist, which is kind of where the jobs are, or being a pin-up artist, which is a completely different kind of career. Um, and if you want to be a sequential artist, to me, that's the fun stuff, because, you know, that's where the storytelling is. Part of the suck-up that you have to do in that is you have to draw cars, you have to draw buildings, you have to draw the boring things and find ways to make that interesting for yourself but also for the reader. Also be super-duper, super-super-duper persistent. You have to be super persistent and really focused and self-motivated. Thanks, guys. Uh, we have to wrap it up because there's another panel after us. Would you please join me in thanking, in no particular order, Nicola, Freddie, King's Comics and Icon Entertainment and all of you guys. Thank you very much. So as we go out, as always, find us at behindthepanels.net if you're looking for us, looking for our past episodes that is just as fun and slightly more polished than this one. Um, until next episode, which for us is right here tomorrow at 1 o'clock, I'm Richard Gray. I'm David McVeigh. I'm Nicholas Scott. And I'm Freddie Williams II. And this has been Behind the Panels. <laughs> <laughs>